Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. We're ready to begin our 90-minute broadcast, Prophecy Today Weekend. We have six broadcast partners standing by. I hope you can stay with us for the 90 minutes. If you will, I'll give you the world with the reports from my broadcast partners. You will not be able to hear from mainstream media the information that you will receive from these broadcast partners scattered across the world. Well, uh, you know, I always say you can run, but you cannot hide from a prophecy today. And our dear friend and good broadcast partner, very knowledgeable man, we have to have him all the time, is Ken Timmerman. He looks at geopolitical activities across the world. He has given us a real opportunity because Ken is actually on vacation He's down south in Florida, and I want to tell you, you may hear the birds chirping outside when he is giving us the broadcast, but I I needed to have his report. Ken, I hope and pray you had a good time, and thank you for interrupting just for a moment. Well, we are indeed enjoying the Florida Keys, Jimmy, and uh, God bless Ron DeSantis, our governor, for keeping this state open. Yes, (laughs) praise the Lord. That's my home state as well, Judy and I born and raised in Miami, so we love the state of Florida. Well, for the first item I want to deal with, the United States attack on Iranian military forces, personnel, and operations as well there in Syria. This is the first of the Biden administration's military strikes. What can you tell us about it? Well, this was a pinprick retaliatory strike against a completely useless, virtually powerless little militia in Syria that had zero to do with the attacks in Iraq by Iranian-backed militia groups that killed a U.S. contractor. If President Biden had really wanted to send the Iranians a message, he would have done something as President Trump did when he killed Qasem Soleimani or when he actually struck back at the militias that attacked U.S. personnel in Iraq. You know what really worries me here? Jimmy, is that this show of weakness by President Biden and his administration will only embolden the Iranian regime. Uh, Just a year ago, a bit over a year ago, uh, at uh, New Year's 2020, the Iranians staged a gathering around the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad on December 31st, 2019. They broke through the barricades, jumped the fences, set fire on a commissary, and it could have been another Benghazi with Americans killed or taken hostage. Instead, what did Trump do, President Trump? He sent 200 Marines immediately, within the hour, from Kuwait up to Baghdad to reinforce the embassy, and then two days later, he ordered the killing of Qasem Soleimani, the terror master. President Biden, by his weakness, is going to invite, I fear, the kind of attack that we saw in Benghazi You know, I've been reading, Ken, that Iran believes Joe Biden, the president, is a weak president. Now, that's their observation. However, it's going to enhance exactly what they want to do, is it not? Well, they they believe he's not just weak. They believe he is pliant and that he will give in to their demands already, Jimmy, just this past week in the eagerness of the Biden regime to negotiate with Iran and to resume this 
failed Iran nuclear deal, they have been putting pressure on the government of South Korea to release frozen assets, about $7 billion of frozen Iranian assets. That's lifeblood for international terrorism. Biden has also given a green light to China and Russia to sell weapons, including advanced jet aircraft, combat aircraft, and a fast attack boat to Iran. He's, he has agreed to lift the arms embargo at the United Nations. He's lifting the oil embargo as well. These are all signs of weakness. And frankly, you know, knowing the Iranians the way I do, and I've been dealing with them for 35 years, Jimmy, they are laughing all the way to the bank, and they think that they can get whatever they want from this president. And I fear they may be right. Let me just stay focused a minute more on a couple of more items about Iran. The Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, just finishing Purim, the special Jewish holy day, gave a warning to Iran, and he said that like Haman in the book of Esther 2,500 years ago tried to annihilate the Jewish people. And the prime minister of Israel said, Iran, if you try to annihilate us, you're going to fail just like Haman. Pretty strong statement, but I think they could back it up, don't you? Oh, absolutely. He called you know, a two-bit bankrupt regime of ayatollahs. Uh, you know, Israel is not going to let a two-bit bankrupt regime of ayatollahs vanquish it or destroy it. It's a pretty clear message. The Iranians understand that. The Iranians in the military understand that. They are not going to attack Israel unless they feel that they can inflict mortal, absolutely mortal damage. Are they ready to have a replay of the 2006 war in Lebanon? Perhaps, but I haven't seen the signs of that yet. I would say that the Iranian next presidential election, number of elections in the Middle East in the upcoming months, but the one there in Iran is probably certain to have a hard liner to become the next president of Iran, which will make it tougher for Biden to have a dealing with the Iranians, make it tougher for him. I've heard about Hamadinejad, former president, considering running. What can you tell us about this upcoming election? Well, it's entirely possible, and uh, other people in the running uh, are also hardliners. Look, it's pretty clear that Rouhani, who is, by the way, no pro-Western milk toast, he is, he is almost as hardline as anyone else. It's just that he puts a smiling face when he turns to the West, whereas Ahmadinejad and the others scowl at us. That's really the only difference. Uh, but the Iranian people are fed up with Rouhani. They're fed up with a regime of sanctions uh, that, the re- that uh, their regime has imposed upon them because of their unwillingness to keep the uh, restrictions of the nuclear deal. And just this past week, they uh, told the IAEA that they were going to suspend all inspections of, of sensitive sites in Iran, military sites and other sensitive sites. Now, look, that does not come as a surprise. All of these things are negotiating tactics. They want President Biden and his team to feel the pressure of concluding a deal quickly. They say, if you don't conclude this deal quickly while Rouhani is president, you might never get the deal that you want. This is the false kind of pressure. It's the kind of thing that here in the United States is generated by the media, these deadlines generated by the media. Uh, It really doesn't make a bit of difference who is president of Iran, the leader, the supreme leader, will remain in control. 
and that is the one calling the shots there in Tehran. You spoke about China just a moment ago. China is doing everything to boost its military buildup, while at the same time pushing a dialogue with the United States. That means you're going to negotiate from a position of strength, doesn't it? Well, what the Chinese have been doing recently is uh, actually a much-needed revamping of their military training regimen. Uh, They have had problems fielding advanced weapons in their army, uh, in their uh, fast attack forces, their assault forces, and so they are now trying to upgrade, use more high-tech weaponry, and to upgrade their training regimen so their troops are more combat-ready. The United States has been able to train our military to the point of exhaustion, really, in foreign wars over the past 25 years. The Chinese have not. So they do not have the combat experience that the U.S. military has. They do not have a cadre of um, generals and uh, executive officers who have been battle-tested, battle-hardened. So in lieu of that, they are going to be using more modern training techniques, more intensive military training techniques uh, to try to bring their forces up to snuff with the United States as they negotiate with us, as you say, but it's not much of a negotiation. The Chinese now are really laying down demands uh, upon uh, the Biden regime. They are saying that uh, you must lift restrictions on Wall Street from investing in Chinese military companies. That is a really big demand from the Chinese communist leadership. They are uh, uh, very intent on getting Wall Street support because they know if the big companies, uh, the hedge funds and the big banks, and the investment companies are, are, are putting money into Chinese military companies, there's very little that the U.S. government can do to stop them. Uh, I got involved in this, Jimmy, all the way back in the mid-1990s and was warning about this. We got bans put on investment at that point uh, in Chinese military company, uh, and President Trump uh, codified that in several executive orders. Now President Biden is already lifting those, so it will be okay for Americans and hedge funds to invest in the Chinese military, I happen to think it's a disastrous mistake and will, again, only embolden the Chinese communist leadership. Well, it's almost like being a traitor, is it not, Ken? Helping the enemy to get ready to attack you? I think that's correct. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the president of the United States does not see it that way. Uh, He thinks that it's okay for Wall Street to arm communist China. I think he's deadly wrong. Deadly wrong, and it may end up with deadly events unfolding because of this situation. Ken, I want to thank you again so very much for taking a moment of your vacation time and tell your wife thank you as well. She was probably the one that allowed you to do it. But thank you and appreciate always being able to talk with you. We'll do that again next week. You bet, Jimmy. God bless. We're so grateful for Ken Timmerman and his reports on geopolitical activities happening around the world. The reason I say that is I believe those events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I'll talk more about that when we take a look at the book at the end, the last eight minutes of this broadcast. We'll take a break right now. We need a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by to give us that report. It's all ahead, right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. I have written a book entitled Sound the Trumpets. This book looks at four major trends given to us in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This book will look at an alignment of nations, who will form a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that their name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. Now this book would help you to better understand why all of the activity that is going on in the Middle East, current events, is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It will be a great source of information that will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. Go to my prophecy bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore to make your purchase of the book, Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We've looked at geopolitical events with Ken Timmerman, Now we're going to go to the Middle East, zero in on Jerusalem, Israel, and in fact, the entire Middle East with David Dolan, longtime journalist in that key region of the world. David, the prime minister earlier this week, gave a warning to Iran. I do believe he called it a Purim warning. And in the warning, he said, if indeed Iran tries to annihilate the Jewish state of Israel, similar to what Haman in the book of Esther tried to do, you will fail just exactly like Haman. Pretty strong statement to Iran, was it not? It was quite a strong statement, Jimmy. And uh, he called the government of Iran an oppressive Persian regime that he said tried to annihilate the Jewish nation, and just like they failed then, so they will fail today if they do attack Israel. He went on to say, we will not allow your extremist, brutal regime to obtain nuclear weapons. So that is a very strong statement, and Jimmy, the issue of Iran's uh, nuclear program was again discussed by Netanyahu and his top ministers this week. And uh, they are openly talking about a strike against that program, a military strike preemptive to take out the program. That, of course, after Iran has issued some more defiant statements and continues to enrich uranium far above the limit that was permitted under the now broken 2015 deal. 
Well, it's interesting. They had that meeting there in Jerusalem as it relates to the Iranian nuclear weapon of mass destruction. It does not seem that the prime minister has gotten very far with President Biden in trying to convince him to not renew that deal. But I understand out of that meeting came the statement, if the United States doesn't help us, and it seems to indicate what you said to us, that Israel will go on its own, a preemptive strike, or whatever it takes to stop Iran. That's pretty much on target, isn't it? Well, they don't want to go alone, but uh, they are prepared to do that if they have no choice. They're thinking, though, that it would probably be more of strikes against Hezbollah forces in Lebanon and the Hezbollah Qatay Hezbollah group in Iraq, which uh, had one of its branches hit by U.S. aircraft on uh, early Friday morning at Middle East time, right on the Syrian-Iraqi border, the same area where Israel was believed to have struck just about two weeks ago. That policy continues to evolve. The White House continues to say that it will insist that Iran comply with the accord before all the sanctions are lifted. Iran continues to say the sanctions must be lifted first before they'll go back into any talks. So that may be a stalemate, but We can clearly see the Biden administration tilting against Saudi Arabia and against Israel's interests, which coincide with Saudi Arabia in this case, and towards Iran, and that is not a good thing. David, earlier this week I read an article. The title of the article was, Israel is the Middle East Military Superpower. First of all, would you agree with that statement? And secondly, why would you say that? Well, they certainly have the best weaponry. Nobody else has the F-35 stealth jet yet, although several other Middle Eastern countries are trying to acquire that. That's considered to be one of the best fighter jets in the world. The problem is is its range would make it difficult to fly to and from Iran without refueling. Uh, But, of course, Israel has other options, including this quiet alliance with Saudi Arabia and openly now with Abu Dhabi and several of the other Gulf states that they could possibly operate out of. And that would be, of course, much closer to the Iranian targets. But yes, the military is a very important component of Israel's life. Their vow never to be destroyed again is based upon that. They certainly have the best missile system in, really, in the world. Uh, Three layers of missile defenses and their aircraft, and they have several submarines, and they have a good standing army. But it remains a tiny country with enemies to the south, to the east, and to the north, and potentially to the west from the ocean, because, of course, some of her enemies have navies and uh, that sort of a weapon, too. So there would be a tough fight, but Israel would win it, I believe. But they do have a strong military. They do, and, of course, they have a god that is standing by to protect them from any total annihilation. According to the Word of God, Ezekiel chapter 38, for example. David, uh, the Palestinian propaganda machine is at work again. There's a Palestinian official who's claiming that Israel will bomb Judaism's holiest site, the Temple Mount. Total subterfuge, or what, what is this all about? 
Well, um, it's hard to say when you get the Palestinian media and the Palestinian leaders even talking. They made another statement that was just ridiculous this week. Uh, Israel had some snow, Jerusalem in particular, and they said that was sent from Allah to clean out the Israeli filth from Jerusalem. That's a direct quote that was uh, from the Palestinian Authority, the rulers there. So, you know, they want to take back the Temple Mount in the biggest way. That is a major goal of theirs. They want to destroy Israel, it seems, or at least uh, to see that happen. And their allies with Iran in that, and Hamas and Hezbollah and the others. So this statement, just another one that is worrisome. But again, Israel's strong, and they've just got to keep their eyes open, their ears to the ground, and their their weapons in hand. Well, that's not only the statements made from the Palestinians, but there was an Islamic scholar in the Palestinian Authority. He said that if the Muslims of the world rid the world of the Jews, then prosperity will come. I mean, this is a philosophy that is, I think, motivated much by their eschatology, but totally contradictory to anything God said will happen. Well, and that's another underscoring that the Quran and the Bible are two different books. And uh, even though many people will say Allah of the Quran is the God of the Bible in just another name, uh, it can't be because Allah is quoted as calling for the death of all the Jews, of condemning them, of calling upon all Muslims if they see Jews to rise up and kill them. And this is very much a part of the more extremist Muslim groups. It's not, of course, what every practicing Muslim is is about or saying or planning or plotting, but it is in their holy scriptures, and that is something Israel can't change, Muslim leaders can't change, and uh, it is a motivating factor in everything that's happening, especially what Iran is planning and plotting, and it's a race, it seems, to acquire nuclear weapons. This week, David, Tony Blinken, who is the Secretary of State here in the United States, was speaking to Gabby Ashkenazi, who is the Foreign Minister, a counterposition in Israel, and he was touting the Biden support for a two-state solution. I mean, they're really going after that two-state solution. And do you think that is any way a possibility it could happen? Jimmy, there is just no evidence on the ground that a peace process is going to get back on track at this time. We have the region clearly uh, moving towards war. There's more and more signs of that all the time. And in fact, they call it the shadow war going on between Israel and Iran, mainly in Syria. Actual uh, attacks are taking place all the time. And uh, the Palestinians, therefore, especially the more radical groups, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, we have to remember Hamas won the parliamentary elections the last time they were held in 2006. So this is a popular view on the street that possibly Iran and others can destroy Israel. That's what they would like to see. So why should they bother with a small state in Judea and Samaria when what they really want is Jerusalem and they want to see Tel Aviv and Haifa Arabized and Jews out. They say that all the time, and that is their goal. So Blinken and others can um, do whatever they want, but I don't see any movement possible at this time in that area. 
Well, and you put together with what you reported to us about the Palestinians, the propaganda that's going on to try to negate the Jewish state and their armed struggle continuing. Looks like there's going to be no end to the conflict until the Lord starts to intercede. Would you agree? I would, and it's sad to see Israel and the U.S. now again at loggerheads, as uh, they were often uh, under the former Obama-Biden administration, back to square one on that one. And that is, I think, the saddest uh, result of all this. It looks to many Middle East analysts like pipe dreams that Iran can be stopped uh, on its nuclear program and going after Saudi Arabia, the U.S. is now, and all these things. But the God of Israel is God. And the Bible makes that clear, and history shows that. History does indeed show that. And, of course, the prophetic word of God tells us exactly what's going to happen. David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East with his Middle East News Update, a must for all of us who are students of Bible prophecy. David, great job. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. Glad to do it, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got a potpourri of items I want to discuss with Winky Medad. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible Prophecy Student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our second half hour. Remember, I ask you for three half-hour segments, giving me 90 minutes to talk with my broadcast partners around the world and give you details, details you will not be able to get from the mainstream media on events that are unfolding. I want to remind you, at the top of this half hour, I'll be talking with Mike Gendron. We're going to be talking about the visit next week by Pope Francis. He's going to err of the Chaldees. That's right, the location where Abraham came from. And we'll be talking about the significance of the place, first of all, archaeologically, and then the visit by the Pope. You want to stay tuned to hear that conversation. But right now, we go to Israel, to Winky Madad. He is one of our favorite broadcast partners. We're going to talk with Winky about a pulpourri of items. Winky, I know that Purim has just been completed. Talk to us about this special Jewish holy day. Explain the day briefly for those who are not Jewish and how you celebrated Purim this year. As it is related in the book of Esther in the Jewish Bible, 
We're talking about a period of between the destruction of the first temple and the exile in the area of Persia, in which a high official in the court of Ahasuerus, that's the Hebrew pronunciation, by the name of Haman, sets out to harm the Jewish people. A man by the Jewish man, by the name of Mordechai, is able to get his niece, by the name of Esther or Hadassah, into the court, and without getting too complicated, manages to turn everything around, gets Haman and his sons hanged, defends themselves against those who would do the Jews harm, and at the end of the book, we have a holiday by the name of Purim. Pur is the word used there for a, a lot, like the casting of the lots. And so we have the holiday of Purim, which is celebrated as a festival here in Israel, especially, where children and adults go around masked or dressed up in costumes. There is the reading of the Book of Esther in the evening and in the morning with food, as usual with Jewish holidays, and most importantly, handing out gifts to the poor and exchanging gifts between neighbors, which, of course, if I was a sociologist, I would say strengthens the community spirit and structure in the Jewish community. This year, however, though, Winky was a bit different because of the coronavirus. Were you not able to gather together like you normally do as a family? Well, of course, this year we didn't have to worry about masks because everybody has them on in any case. But the government declared a shutdown, if I could use that word, from about 8, 8.30 at night until 5 o'clock in the morning in order to try to offset any wild partying with too many participants that would, of course, be against all the rules of the social distancing we have here and would simply regenerate, partially, I hope, uh, we have to wait now for another week or so, an upsurge in the those who are getting sick because of the closeness of, and, uh, uh, of, of partying and getting together in synagogues or other places. And so we'll just have to wait with that. But, of course, yes, there were strong restrictions in place over the last few days. Winky, because of the rise in anti-Semitism, not only in the Middle East, but actually across the world, do you not see in the future, in the near future possibly, more days like the days of Esther when there is a desire to eliminate the Jewish people for the earth? Are those days ahead? Well, Jimmy, I'd have to divide my answer into two. There is, as you point out, a resurgence of irrational anti-Jewish feeling in many places, or shall I say, too many places. Even on campuses of universities, where you would think people study rationally and research and get to the facts, but I'm not going to get into that. It's very disturbing what's happening between professors and students in today's universities. The second aspect is that in the sense of elimination, I'm always amazed that of all the nations of the world, I think United Nations now, there's like, I don't know, they're pushing 200. The only people who constantly have to defend their right to be 
a state the right to be a national group with its own culture and history and language and literature and customs is the Jewish people in the Middle East in a small little state called Israel. So yes, we do feel sometimes that there is a ganging up, that there is a, a an attempt not to alter borders or to uh, do this or that, but as if let's just get rid of Israel and everything will be okay. That still is, as I see it, a problem that the world has to deal with so many years after they tried to deal with it in a very different way in the middle of Europe. I did open this conversation with Winky saying we had a potpourri of issues we wanted to discuss. So let me now go to the next one. Winky, talk to me uh, about the upcoming elections how the political parties are making preparations for those elections that upcome into March. Well, Jimmy, in the last week or so, all the parties have really begun to rev up their uh, electioneering speeches. Uh, now, of course, there's much more activity on the social media platforms. Even Netanyahu has been seen to be using TikTok now so that you know things have changed in the few decades that you and i remember elections and it's moving on the same picture though seems to be apparent that the left is nowhere close to gaining much at all even the arab lists are losing voters on the other hand mr netanyahu still does not have a firm plurality and uh, we'll have to wait until the very last moment to see if the two right-wing parties, the Yamina Party and the New Hope Party, will continue to say they will not go into a coalition agreement with Netanyahu. If they stand outside the coalition, and we've discussed this over the last year and a half, how Israeli politics work, we're going to be in for another round of strong negotiations uh, or maybe even another round of elections in another half a year. We'll stay on top of that story with our good friend and broadcast partner, Winky Madad. Well, here's the third item I wanted to discuss with you, Winky. The phone call from President Biden to Prime Minister Netanyahu. I do understand it was the first phone call to any Middle Eastern leader. Talk to me. Was the attitude excitement in Israel because Joe Biden did make a call to the prime minister? Well, it was strange that the phone call took a long time in coming. I am not sure whether it was purposeful on Mr. Biden's part or maybe on the recommendation of some of his staff just to keep Mr. Netanyahu dangling a little bit there. But we happen to be a very important part in American foreign policy and uh, it's impossible to ignore us, not only because of Iran, but because of, I think, the major contributions in the field of science, economic and economics and, and technology that we uh, afford for the American people. It had to come. What's more disappointing to me, Jimmy, and I'm just adding my own viewpoint here, is that the Biden administration has been appointing certain people that are not at all middle of the road on any of the policies that America and Israel have been going through over the past few decades. 
and so that we have to watch this very carefully what they end up recommending to either uh, Secretary of State Blinken or to President uh, Biden himself. Uh, and that has to be carefully watched. In other words, a little bit under the radar, if I could use that phrase. That's where we have to keep a watch, not between Biden and Netanyahu, who are a little bit above all the fray. That's going to be an interesting observation. Reports I heard, Winky, that it was more a friendly type call, remembering times together where they worked before in the past, and not too substantive as it relates to uh, the conversation. For particularly, they didn't talk much about Iran. Do you think Israel is going to engage with the United States over this new Iranian deal, or will Israel and the Prime Minister take a strong stand against the renewal of that Iranian nuclear deal? No, I, I think even at least once this past week, Mr. Netanyahu uh, implied that he was not going to allow America uh, to easily go back to the deal that was done under the Obama administration. We have an a ambassador in place, Mr. Gilad Ardan, who has his instructions. I would presume at the beginning they don't want to rock the boat too much, as happened in the confrontation between President Obama and Mr. Netanyahu, Israel's Prime Minister. And of course, I hope everybody and you remember the Mossad operation that pulled out all this secret material out of Tehran under the noses of the Iranians that they basically were intending all along to recreate their nuclear bomb program so that obviously the whatever you think of that agreement that was made mr kerry and other people that were involved in american administration it, it really wasn't worth very much and, and we're hearing already that the iranians want to rev up again their nuclear program to 60 percent in enrichment which is only for military uses so we're going to be a little bit along the bumpy path in the near future and another very important story We'll stay on top of with Winky Madad. Winky, great holiday time, and thank you for giving us the insight that you have on these other issues as well. And we'll talk again in the near future. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad, a potpourri of issues we discussed with Winky. The upcoming Israeli elections, of course, Purim, which took place earlier this week, and the idea that there was a phone call between President Biden and Prime Minister Netanyahu. What they talked about, well, not really known at this point in time. We'll follow up and see what is the result of that phone call. I want to remind you that I have a five-hour audio series, which is on CD, entitled The Feast of God. Go to my Prophecy Bookstore. It's located on my website, prophecytoday.com, and there make your purchase of The Feast of God. We're going to switch regions of the world now from the Middle East to the European Union. The man covering the European Union, John Rood, he comes to the broadcast table with us right now. And, John, I understand, I don't know how much of a 
conversation it was about the Iranian nuclear deal between Biden and Netanyahu. But I understand the European Union putting together a meeting focusing actually on the Iranian nuclear deal. They put this meeting together with the United States. What can you tell us? Yes, uh, the European Union is making a uh, concerted effort to bring the United States to the table and having what originally here an informal meeting with the participants, all of the participants of the Iran nuclear deal. Of course, the EU has tried to remain that intact, and they even sidestepped it, if you remember from before. They did a parallel system uh, the U.S. didn't really appreciate so much. We have to see what the U.S. uh, stand is going to be. Uh, Of course, uh, coming into the election and so forth, it appeared that the new administration would be more acceptable, so to speak, to the reestablishing the deal. But Iran has no, this is their leveraging. They don't really have an interest to, to start the deal. It's all leveraging while they have continued breaking the terms, and we know what that can lead to. Yes, breaking those terms of the original Iranian nuclear deal so they could move very close to a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Well, let's look at what the European Union itself is doing. I understand they're agreeing to plan sanctions against Russia. There's always a competition between the EU and Russia. Can you give us more information on that? Well, we had uh, last week, we had you know, the head of the EU uh, foreign uh, representation, so to speak, was very much shunned in Moscow. And uh, he was not even informed of some of the diplomatic expulsions that were going on while the meeting was taking place. So the EU is going ahead with some uh, asset freezes and visa bans, which, you know, we call sanctions. But the sanctions are not really that effective because they normally uh, target a few individuals. It it sounds like a very, very heavy word. You know, they have sanctions against the nation, but usually it's not even a slap on the wrist. So the, the EU has to be very careful in their proceedings with Russia because there's a lot of other interests, of course, especially with natural resources. John, let me ask your opinion on an issue, if you will. We're talking about Russia and the European Union. Why does not the European Union play hardball with Russia? Well, the EU is hard to leverage. You know, when you look at Russia, it's, a, it's surprising, but the Russian economy is, is just barely larger than Spain. And so why is the European doing you know, some of these innocuous uh, uh, sanctions, so to speak, when there's so many objections to Russia's uh, military expansionism, uh, problems with human rights, etc. But, you know, part of it, as we said, is the, the resources. And uh, Finland, for example, they receive 100% of their natural gas from Russia. Germany gets half of its gas from Russia. Uh, living in Brussels, I remember, you know, the gas stations were Russian, Russian gas. And of course, I mean it's it's Eurasia, and so it's it's certainly connected there. And so the European Union totally depends on Russia for forty percent of its gas imports, thirty percent of its oil. So it's just very hard 
very hard for the European Union to deal harshly with a country that's literally furnishing them their uh, oil and gas and is really their backdoor neighbor. Absolutely. So we can see, actually, the European Union between a rock and a hard place in this situation. You mentioned Germany there. I understand in Germany, because of the coronavirus, it's triggered a new wave of anti-Semitism. Explain that to us. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting correlation. I, I had to look into, you know, how that can be. We see that the uh, anti-Semitic hate crimes uh, have increased in Germany between 2019-2020 by 10%. And yet, with a couple thousand crimes, only five individuals were ultimately arrested. And so there seems to be quite a bit of holes to plug up in that uh, scenario. Uh, 90% of the anti-Semitic hate crimes in Germany are attributed to the far right. But then it's actually been brought out by uh, studies, etc., that this is uh, incorrect, that there's many other groups of perpetrators, uh, which uh, can be Islamic, uh, etc. And it turns out that this play, as you say, with COVID-19 uh, triggering some wave of anti-Semitism, is that the uh, far-right conspiracy theorists are blaming uh, Israel uh, for the production of the of the virus and spreading it, and so I mean, this sounds uh, parallel to things that happened in the in the Middle Ages, in the Dark Ages, uh, trying to attribute the disease to Israel. And apparently, uh, some of the conspiracy uh, uh, theories are gaining traction. That's the voice of John Rood, the man who covers the European Union for us. He gives us details on the political as it is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, thank you very much, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you. Good to look at all this together. Thank you. Great conversation with John Rood. His European Union update is always key for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy, understanding how the European Union, at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Well, another conversation upcoming, a very interesting conversation with Mike Gendron. He has a ministry proclaiming the gospel, and it's proclaimingthegospel.org, by the way, and it is focused on endeavoring to win Catholics to the true knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And Mike, when we have a conversation, it's usually focused on what's going on at the Vatican, what Pope Francis may well be doing. And it looks like that this next week, Pope Francis is on the road again. He's going into a portion of modern-day Iraq to a place called Ur of the Chaldees, the birthplace of Abraham, the patriarch, Quite an interesting visit, quite an interesting archaeological site as well, is it not? Yes, it is. In fact, it's often considered an ancient site of child sacrifices. And, of course, the focus of his trip is to bring harmony between religious groups. And some of them are very well known. We've got the uh, Muslims and the Catholics that are seeking unity, but there's also some smaller religious groups, the 
Sabians, and they're mentioned three times in the Quran, always alongside Jews and Christians. And so then the other group that they're looking at is a smaller group that is monotheistic. So I think what the Pope is attempting to do is find religious unity among all monotheistic religions. And I'm certain that he is going to be able to encourage visitors, not only Iraqi visitors, but visitors from around the world to go to that particular site. I understand this site, Ur of the Chaldees, very popular in the 70s and 80s, but because of the Iraqi war with uh, the nations of the world and also the coronavirus, it's kind of been shut down, so it'll have a dual purpose in his visit. Am I correct that Pope John Paul tried to visit this site at the time when Saddam Hussein was in charge there, the dictator of Iraq? Yes, you're right, Jimmy, and that trip was canceled at the last minute because of the growing tension because of Saddam Hussein in the region. But it's really interesting that the Pope has chosen this site to visit. I'm wondering now if uh, his next visit might be an interreligious prayer meeting in the land of Shinar, where the sons of men built the Tower of Babel into the heavens. That seems like an appropriate site to have religious unity, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. That would be the city of Babylon. I've wanted to go there so, so many times, and it's not too far away from Ur of the Chaldees, all in the nation of Iraq. You know, Pope Francis, as we're talking about, has a dual purpose to encourage those to visit those particular sites. But this interfaith prayer meeting, what's that all about? Explain that to us, will you, Mike? Well, sure. We know that the Pope, this Pope Francis, has made it abundantly clear that the ecumenical unity agenda, which he is pushing, has been a top priority ever since he took the papacy. So what he's doing is drawing the major religions of Islam, Orthodox Christianity, Protestant Christianity, Judaism, and even atheists into his papal church. And we know from the book of Revelation that one day, in the name of peace, a false messiah will head a global religion that will harmonize the differences between all the existing religions. And so this is what the Pope's agenda is. He's traveling throughout the world now to try and unite all the religions together into his papal church. And there's a couple of things that he has done. One of his strategies is using the idea that all the religions of the world worship the same God. You may remember not too long ago, Jimmy, that Francis proclaimed that Allah and the God of the Catholic Church are one and the same. He said, I greet and cordially thank you, all dear friends belonging to other religious traditions, First of all, the Muslims who worship the one God, living and merciful, and call upon him in prayer. And that was back in 2013, shortly after he became Pope. So from the get-go, this has been his agenda, to unite not only with Islam. I think you know, that would be the catalyst for all the other religions coming together, because if you unite Islam and Catholicism, you've got 42% of the world's population coming together. That is a very interesting figure that you just brought to our attention. You know, it seems to me, and you mentioned it just a bit, he's going to travel the world. The Pope's taking this show on the road to get to the peoples of the world and try to bring this all together. However, Mike, I've got to say it still smells much like Revelation 17. 
Talk to us about that connection between the two. Well, we know from Revelation 13 and 17 that there will be two men that will unite the world. There will be a false messiah, a false prophet, and he will unite the world in a global religion that will worship the other figure, which is referred to as the Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. And so these two men together will usher in to um, a time of peace and prosperity. And it's really interesting, Jimmy, if you study Catholic eschatology, they really believe that there will be a Catholic pope and a Catholic patriarch that will come together to fulfill prophecy. That is very, very interesting. And the idea that the part of the world the pope is deciding to visit, as you said, Earl of the Chaldees, but most likely he'll try to put into his visit a stop by Babylon itself, which, of course, is talked about there in Revelation both 17 and 18. Mike, it's always good to be able to go to you when the Pope's on the move or there at the Vatican, whatever, and talk about the issues that may well be bringing together uh, the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. Mike's address again ProclaimingTheGospel.org, that's the website. Go there and sign up for his newsletter. And, Mike, thank you so very much for giving us a few moments to talk about this issue. Appreciate it. We'll have another call down the road. Okay, Jimmy, anytime. It's always a pleasure. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, David James is standing by. We'll talk with David about the reality of many in the church itself, the the entire church as we talk about the church christians not just one particular church but kind of moving away from the validity of the word of god you don't want to miss it a very key conversation all ahead right here on prophecy today hi everybody jimmy de young welcome back to prophecy today we move into our last half hour David James standing by. We're going to be talking about the Word of God and its infallibility. You don't want to miss that conversation. Do me a favor this afternoon after the broadcast. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, answer my poll question. It's on the home page, left-hand column. Here is the question. Do you still believe that all Scripture is given by God, His inerrant infallible Word of God, as Paul wrote about in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com, and answer the poll question. We now bring to this microphone David James. David and I have a weekly conversation focusing on an issue, and as we do give you the details on the issue, We try to give you some biblical information and undergirding from the Word of God so that we can know how to, number one, deal with the issue, and number two, in light of dealing with the issue, have our walk with the Lord on a daily basis. And David was out here in Chattanooga with us this last week, participating in the filming of our project on what happens to the United States if they're not in Bible prophecy. Where do they go? What's their destiny? Or do they come to a demise? What's the situation? So appreciate he and his ministry and our partnership together. David, this week we have a couple of questions from one of our listeners related to the timing of the rapture 
and also passages in First and Second Thessalonians. But I think we really only have a time to deal with only one of them for today's program. Will you do that, please? Sure, Jimmy. Uh, well, I paraphrased our listener's question for the sake of time, but this is the gist of it. First Thessalonians 1.10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He goes on to say, I believe in a pre-trib rapture, but on a broadcast with you, meaning you, Jimmy, on the Anchorberg show, Reynolds Showers changed delivered to delivers, saying it refers to deliverance from the wrath of the tribulation. But in the past tense, wouldn't it mean delivered from hell? So, Jimmy, I would say this is actually a translation issue and that Dr. Showers did handle it correctly. You know, the King James Version is a very good translation, but there are a few issues here and there. Sometimes there are different ways of expressing things in the 1600s versus today, or there was a difference in vocabulary. For example, prevent could mean proceed, and suffer could mean allow, which doesn't really make sense in today's English. And and in some cases, there may be a bit of theological bias, which may be true of 1 Thessalonians 1.10. So the word delivered is a Greek word that is a present participle. Delivered isn't the best translation and doesn't fit the future day of the Lord context. Probably the best way to understand the verse is Jesus, the one who is delivering us from the wrath to come. So this is talking about deliverance from God's future wrath and not deliverance from the consequences of sin and hell. Yes, and I do agree with what you've just said, David. I remember recording that program there on the John Ankerberg Show with Rennie Showers. Sure do miss Rennie. And we could have had him come. He's in the heavenlies now. He knows exactly what the proper translation should have been. Well, David, one of the stories that we've been following for the past couple of weeks is about a church there in Nashville, Tennessee, not very far from us. They have been making headlines because of a controversial Facebook post by its pastor concerning what the church believes about the Bible. Give us some more details. Right. Well, Jimmy, the story's been picked up by a lot of news sites and media outlets like The Blaze, ChristianHeadlines.com, Christianity Daily, and The Christian Post, which carried the headline, A Nashville Church Says Bible Isn't the Word of God, Then Draws Ire, and that article opens this way. A progressive Nashville church has drawn the ire of the Internet after sharing a message on social media declaring the Bible isn't the Word of God, inerrant or infallible. And it goes on to say, two Sundays ago, Grace Point Church, led by Pastor Josh Scott, shared a recap of the day's message on Facebook discussing the Bible and the question, what is progressive Christianity? So I went to that post on Facebook from February 7th, And that's still on the church's Facebook page, and it says this, As progressive Christians, we're open to the tensions and inconsistencies in the Bible. We know that it can't live up to impossible modern standards. We strive to more clearly articulate what Scripture is and is not. And the Post goes on to say, The Bible isn't the Word of God, self-interpreting, a science book, an answer or rule book, inerrant or infallible. Rather, it is a product of community, a library of text, multivocal, a human response to God, living and dynamic. 
And uh, Jimmy, right now there are over 2,200 reaction emojis on that post and over 3,100 comments. And of those reactions, almost 1,000 are angry emojis with 450 laughing ones, 340 sad faces, and just over 300 loves or likes. So it's, it's gotten a reaction. It has indeed gotten a reaction, and I wish you could see my face right now, but uh, I did not go on Facebook. I don't have an account with Facebook, except my ministry does, but uh, indeed, that's a very interesting commentary on uh, what you're talking about. Can you give us any more background information about Grace Point Church, and actually, what is meant by the term progressive Christianity in general? Well, Grace Point Church was established in 2003 near Nashville, as you said, and that was in the Franklin-Brentwood communities area. And in an article on the history of the church, I found this statement about their beginning. Our earliest commitment was to settle on an ideology which we believed was faithful to God and consistent with a historic Christian church. But, Jimmy, I would say that if that was their original goal, either they radically departed from that goal or they had a very misguided understanding of what that means because they would now be considered as being on the leading edge of progressive Christianity, which is not a part of the historic Christian church. So their pastor, Josh Scott, has been there about two years, I think, and before that he was at Morgantown Community Church north of Bowling Green, Kentucky, for over a decade. And even though Scott grew up Southern Baptist, which has its own problems right now, the churches he's pastored are progressive, which, according to a 2012 Huffington Post article by a United Methodist pastor named Roger Wolseley, it means this. Progressive Christianity is a post-liberal movement that seeks to reform the faith via the insights of post-modernism and a reclaiming of the truth beyond the verifiable historicity and factuality of the passages in the Bible by affirming the truths within the stories that may not have actually happened. So that's obviously a mouthful, but the bottom line is this. Progressive Christianity simply doesn't take the Word of God seriously despite their protests and claims to the contrary. David, I want to dig a bit deeper into this thing, progressive Christianity. And I want to do this because my sense is that this next phase in mainstream Christianity in this country is going to follow this model. And it's probably going to have a lot of influence on the younger generation, even maybe in conservative churches. Well, I think you're right, Jimmy, and pastors and parents really do need to be aware of what's out there. A website called ProgressiveChristianity.org lists eight defining points, and then there's a document called the Phoenix Affirmations that are 12 principles that present progressive Christianity, and here's some of the main ideas. Christian love of God includes walking fully in the path of Jesus without denying the legitimacy of other paths that God may provide for humanity, and listening for God's Word, which comes through daily prayer and meditation. Christian love of neighbor includes engaging people authentically, as Jesus did, treating all as creations made in God's very image, regardless of race, gender, sexual orientation, age, physical or mental ability, nationality, or economic class, and standing, as Jesus does with the outcast and oppressed, seeking peace and justice with or without support. 
And then they say, Christian love of self includes basing our lives on the faith that in Christ all things are made new, and that all people are loved beyond our wildest imaginations for eternity, and claiming the sacredness of both our minds and our hearts. And earlier I mentioned Roger Wolseley, who wrote in one of his books this, Progressive Christianity leans toward panentheism rather than supernatural theism, emphasizes salvation now instead of primarily in heaven later, emphasizes the social aspects of salvation instead of merely the personal, and takes the Bible seriously but not necessarily uh, literally. Jimmy, I used to say that the emerging church was liberal theology 2.0. I would say this is liberal theology 3.0, and it's gone a lot further down the rabbit hole and really isn't even Christian in any meaningful way. David, I'm not sure you can remember back into the 70s, but there was a book then that I read called Battle for the Bible by a very well-known author who was concerned about evangelicals moving away from a belief in the Bible as the inspired and inerrant Word of God. I believe he was right at that time. We're watching it today. Well, that book was by Harold Linzel and first came out in 1976, and just five years later it had already gone to its 14th printing. Linzel taught at Columbia Bible College, Northern Baptist Theological Seminary, Wheaton College, and was one of the founding members of Fuller Seminary, and his book actually challenged some of the changes that happened at that school. He became an editor for Christianity Today in 1964 and was president of the Evangelical Theological Society in 71, and he actually helped conservatives regain the Southern Baptist Convention back from moderates in the inerrancy battles of the 80s. And in the foreword, Harold Ockingay wrote this, There's a pressing need for Dr. Linzel's book in evangelical Protestantism. As evangelicalism grows, it becomes more threatened with division. The issue of inspiration is endangering the unity of the evangelical movement. And then he went on to say, Linzel mentions that acceptance of inerrancy is the watershed of modern theological controversy, but those who surrender the doctrine of inerrancy inevitably move away from the orthodox is indisputable. And, and Jimmy, he was undoubtedly right, and we're seeing the results of losing a lot of the battles for the Bible. And even if we've won some of those battles, it feels like we're losing the war. Linzel wrote this in the preface, I hope those who favor biblical inerrancy will make it known in every possible way and exert all the pressure they can to bear to see that churches, institutions, and groups they have an interest in are committed to this viewpoint. And Jimmy, this is more true today than ever before. It certainly is. David, I know that you've taught Bible study methods and hermeneutics for a long, long time across the world, in fact. What do you teach your students about the inspiration and inerrancy of the Word of God in your courses? Well, here's the way I put it together. I illustrate it like a building with a foundation and pillars and capstones. Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So that's the foundation. Psalm 119, 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth. And Jesus said in John 17, 17, Your word is truth. So inerrancy and infallibility are twin pillars resting on that foundation. Then in, back in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. So this speaks about the authority of the Scriptures. And then the passage says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
that's the capstone that the Scripture is sufficient. So I summarize it this way. The Bible's inspiration, inerrancy, infallibility, authority, and sufficiency means that because the Scriptures are the very words of God, being true, trustworthy, error-free, and authoritative, they are completely sufficient for living the Christian life. We need to believe it, we need to live it, and we need to teach it. Amen and amen. Great, great statement there, David. Well, I do believe this was a very key conversation. You mentioned earlier that pesters need to understand what's going on, also parents. And uh, actually, the entire body of Christ needs to have heard this discussion. Hope many will go to our website. And if they were not able to hear it now, they're at prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now they can hear the entire conversation. David, thank you so much. We'll do this again next week. Great, Jimmy. Thanks so much for the opportunity. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, I'll open the Bible. We'll take a look at the book with all the reports from our broadcast partners in view. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we were able to give you detailed information behind the world headlines, details that the mainstream media is not offering today. Our six broadcast partners around the world each week cover current events, these events seemingly setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. 
We do it because you need to hear these reports from our broadcast partners. We give you the news, and then I give my prophetic perspective on the news. I will do exactly that in just a moment. But let me remind you, if you had to miss any of the reports, please go to prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you will be able to listen to any and all of these very important reports, and you can do that at your convenience. Please do me a favor. Tell a friend and or a family member about these conversations so that they can be informed as well. That address again, prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Now for my prophetic perspective on the news. We caught Ken Timmerman driving during his time of vacation down in the Florida Keys. We had to have him to give us insight into the U.S. military attack on the Iranian personnel and their facilities, the operations there in northeastern Syria. Let me remind you that this was the first Biden call for military action. The attack on the Iranian position, mentioning Syria, as foretold in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 40, and Iran, Ezekiel 38, 5. David Dolan came to the broadcast table to give us his Middle East news update. We talked about Israel, speaking of military, Israel in the Middle East, the military superpower. Well, that would be from a political and military perspective. Israel is indeed a military superpower. You know, the odds are stacked against Israel, not good for the Jewish state. Nine million Jewish people in the Middle East, surrounded by some 500 million enemies wanting to be able to destroy, wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Other than the mighty military operation, don't ever forget that Israel has Almighty God to protect this Jewish state, his chosen people, for a chosen plan for the future. Winky Madad, a Jewish friend who lives in Shiloh, center part of the state of Israel, there in Judea and Samaria, was given by me a pulpery of items that we wanted to discuss. First of all, the Jewish Holy Day of Purim, then the upcoming Israeli elections, and finally, the Biden phone call to the Israeli Prime Minister. You know, Purim just completed is a recorded scenario in the book of Esther some 2,500 years ago, very similar to what's going on in our world today. Haman wanted to annihilate all the Jewish people in the world, and today there is a group of Islamic states that would like to do the exact same thing, annihilate the Jews. By the way, they will have the same result. The Jews will win again, according to the Scripture. John Roots, the man who covers the European Union, which is key for our understanding of the prophetic scenario found in God's Word, the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. The European Union wants to meet with the United States on the Iranian nuclear deal. You know, in John's report, 
there are three political operations mentioned, United States, European Union, and Iran. The United States and the European Union will possibly have a discussion on the Iranian nuclear deal with the possibility of that being put in place, and that's a precursor to the end-time scenario to be fulfilled from Ezekiel 38. Ezekiel 38 verses 18 through chapter 39 verse 6 says that Iran and all the other Islamic states will be wiped out and then the European Union, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire, as I mentioned, will come into play with a major role during the end times. America not mentioned in Bible prophecy. Mike Gendron, who normally covers the Pope at the Vatican in Rome, said that the Pope was on the road. He is on a visit the first of next week to Ur of the Chaldees, birthplace of Abraham, and Babylon, headquarters for the Babylonian Empire at the time of Nebuchadnezzar and the location where the Jews were in the Babylonian captivity for a 70-year period of time. What a very interesting trip for the Pope to make to Ur of the Chaldees, birthplace of Abraham, and also to Babylon, two very important archaeological sites. However, the interfaith prayer meeting to be led by the Pope, I believe, a precursor to the fulfillment or setting up the stage for Revelation chapter 17 to come to place. That is the false church in Rome, Italy, there during the first half of the tribulation period. That church is ready to be formed today. However, the rapture must take place first. David James and I, on a weekly basis, have a conversation key for the Christian community. This week, we talked about progressive Christianity. You know, the bottom line is 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Progressive Christianity, I do believe, is a plot by Satan. Go back and study 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 and 15, where evil angels become angels of light, as is Satan. And indeed, these evil angels are ministers of Satan, putting together this one-world false church. You know, every conversation with my broadcast partners helps us to realize how close we are to the next event, the rapture. All current events that we've talked about today are tangible evidence of how close we may well be to the rapture. In fact, how close, you may ask? Well, it could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.